Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransinc.com for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. This podcast is also brought to you by AgDirect. No matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving Iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus Sean Hackett. This edition of Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Sean, you ever uh, get up in the middle of the night and it's real dark and you stub your toe against the wall or something like that as you walk I've, I've broken my toe multiple times in my life, so yes. Well, tell you what you need to get is send an email to marketing at axontire.com and you get you one of these fancy flashlights. You don't have to worry about that anymore. So if you want one of those, save your toes. Go to marketing at axontire.com and they'll send you one in the mail just at home. The Moving Iron Podcast send it to you. So just think about that, Sean, next time you're you're walking through your house. I'm, I'm, I'm on that right away. <laughs> All right. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs at Valley Transportation. Our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Every time I read that Valley Transportation thing, I just keep thinking about guys out there doing that for a living that are paying five and six and seven dollars a gallon for diesel. So God bless them. That's that's uh it's getting expensive to truck stuff across the country for sure. No doubt. All right, Sean. There has been a magnitude of of weather scares that have popped up. And if you'd listened to the Moving Iron podcast at all. Um, over the last six, eight, nine months, this shouldn't be a surprise to you, but everybody else in the world shocked. So as you take a look, um, most are like this. So you've got, you get the weather scare that we're seeing right now, hot, hot, hot. It's about where I'm at. It's been, um, it was starting on Friday. It was 96 degrees and yesterday's high was 101. You had a little abbreviment today, but then we've got another, uh, three days of, of kind of build back up and by Thursday it's 90 plus and then hundred and some going in the weekend. So going right back into all that, um, you've got, you know, Russia destroyed a, um, a, a grain terminal, uh, along a port in Ukraine, Ukraine's asking Europe for uh, temporary grain storage so they can get their stuff out. Um, so you've got that going on and, 
then you just have, you know, your, your, the Fed on Wednesday is going to talk about hiking rates. I mean, you get all this, all this stuff coming all at one time here again, Sean, um, which is not anything new. Everything's been coming all at once. feels like in these, in these waves, um, what do you want to start with first? You want to start with the weather? You want to start with, let's start with the weather. Cause ultimately that will override all things, okay. um, in the that. end this right. time of the year, at least. And, um, I mean, the, the trillion dollar question is, is this a drought year? You know, is this the beginning of a drought year where we just have persistent, hot, dry, kind of like we had last year in the, in the center west and the northern plains? Or, or is this sort of a, um, a teaser, but, but it's not really an indication of a drought pattern? And, you know, our forecast has been uh, all along that we would have a hot, dry a weather scared leading into the first half of July. And then we would have a, a cooler weather finish that this would not be a drought cycle here. And, and, the, and the, there's three real important reasons that give us confidence in that forecast, looking at our cycles. The one is, is La Nina strengthening or is it weakening? It's been weakening dramatically here over the last three to four weeks. In fact, the central sea surface temperatures of the Pacific are almost out of La Nina uh, temperature-wise, almost just about, um, and and so so if if the La Nina is weakening and lessening, that tends to put less pressure on hot, dry, stagnant weather patterns. The second thing we look at is the Pacific Decadal Oscillation, and the common feature for that is to have the Western uh, Pacific warm, and then you have this cold ring that comes right right near the California uh, coastline. Um, and that's your classic negative PDO that supports ridging or high pressure domes in the Midwest. That's weakened dramatically here in the last three to four weeks, meaning we're seeing very cold, uh, a cool, cooling down of the Western Pacific. And that, and that ring actually no longer exists. We actually have warm weather that uh, warm sea surface temperatures going right to the coastline now of California. So we're breaking down. That means the PDO is weakening now. Um, and then the last thing we tend to look at is that sea surface temperatures are all well and good, but the atmosphere reacts in a delayed reaction to what's going on, on in the sea. So something called the global angular momentum is what's considered what's called upper level winds. When they're negative, that's indicative of a La Nina response. That means very low winds, stagnant patterns, um, hot patterns, lack of rainfall. When it goes positive, that means the winds are picking up, um, and that's more indicative of an El Nino type of atmospheric response. Um, right now, we had this, you know, we had this La Nina strengthen over the spring, and there's always a delayed reaction. And so now we've seen the global angular momentum get really, really negative, which is leading into this hot, dry dome that we're seeing right now. But when we look out into the end of the month and into the middle part of July, the global angular momentum is going to start moving from very negative into actual a positive uh, phase by the middle of July. And that's your El Nino response. That's the response to the weakening La Nina. That's the response to the weakening negative PDO. And that sets in a cooler, wetter pattern and less ridging. And so we really feel that that's the setup, um, but we're going to have to get through a very uh, we think pretty um, volatile weather scare here because we just don't have any ending stocks. And when you don't have any ending stocks and we have 
are the things like you mentioned, Casey, with Russia and you know what, what's going to happen over there and everything else. Um, there's just no room for anything but perfection. And so we would certainly, um, if you're a buyer of feed in the very near term, you know, I think this, this correction we've had, you know, is an opportunity to get some short-term feed bought. Um, if you're a farmer and you say, shoot, I haven't sold everything I wanted to sell. I'd be a little patient here. I'd hold back on some cash sales. I think you're going to get a good opportunity to make, won't last long, you know, be short, sweet to the point, but I think you're going to get a, a good spike trade here, you know, into the first half of July to get maybe some better cash sales to finish off whatever it is that you need to do. And so that's the general U.S. weather-centric view, um, but it is going to be a good finish. And that really means uh, corn crop will be good, but not great. And the soybean crop could be just crazy, crazy good. So, okay. All right. All right. So Russia last week was talking about, hey, you know what? We need to probably get together with uh, Ukraine and talk, you know, maybe have Turkey uh, kind of work with us here on this and, and try to figure out how we can get some of this grain out of Ukraine um, and, you know, get, get the rest of the world fed here because, you know, things are getting getting pretty dire. And it's a lot of it's a lot of situations, especially in Africa. And that fell apart pretty quick. And then they go and bomb a, uh, a grain terminal um, and just totally destroy it. So it doesn't really seem like to me that Russia cares too much about um, being a good guy or a bad guy in the, in the eyes of the world right now. Because had they, you know, obviously not. I mean, they, they're not really going to do anything you see there. So I guess that kind of sent, sent some shockwaves through. Um, at the end of the week, kind of sent some shockwaves through the market. So now you've got them asking um, Europe for some temporary grain storage. Assuming that they can get that squared away, Sean, what what are your thoughts about getting that, that Ukrainian um, grain through wheat harvest right now to Europe into a bin and then starting to get it out to the rest of the world? Do you think that's going to have that big of an impact on, on what we see happening? You know, I, I once again, it's, it's all on the details. How are they going to do it? Right. How long is it going to take? How much storage does Europe actually have? You know, I mean, Europe obviously wants to store its own wheat, obviously, and doesn't right. want to have to have worries with its own storage. I mean, it's really complicated. And what would how would Russia respond if they're cut out and not involved in the process? I mean, I, you know, boy, a lot of unanswered questions. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't. Sounds good on paper, but I think the the ability to actually pull that off in any way that that's going to bring the flow of wheat into the market, I I'm very doubtful. Um, I, you have to have Russia involved in the process if this is going to work. If you don't, then they're just going to create more mayhem and not allow it to happen. I you know, I, it's just it's it's one of those situations where you don't you don't want to work with them. But you have to, right? In my opinion, so you, you have to look at you know the greater good of all, you know, and the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And and as distasteful as it is to some to even be thinking about working with Russia in any way, that's actually what needs to happen for the greater good of all. And I would hope at some point that's the conclusion that everybody comes up with. Meaning, we know what Russia wants. They want some of these sanctions, not all, but some of these sanctions to be removed, and. Um, and of course, what Ukraine wants, it wants some of its, you know, land back. Right. So somewhere in there, either there's a compromise or there isn't a compromise. Right now, you know, I don't really know what's being talked about behind the scenes. 
other than to say that's ultimately if Ukraine doesn't get some of its land back, it's nothing's going to happen. And if, and if the sanctions aren't lifted, nothing's going to happen. Um, those two things need to be bend it a little bit if we're really going to do something um, and have a workout that makes sense to all parties. Um, and, and, and whatever the plan is, maybe the plan is you, you're right, Russia still has to be involved and still has to be okay with letting that happen. Um, and what's in it for them. And it's just the way, it's just the way it is, yep. you know, whether we like it or not. So. Yep. yep. All right. Indonesia. Let's talk about this. We talked about this a little bit Thursday. Um, we, when, when we were wrapping it up, talking about crush rates and ethanol and those kind of things. And now you take a look at, um, and big driver that was Indonesia and, and the palm oil um, exports. And they have decided to um, uh, put a, uh, they've, they've lessened that, weakened that, that export tax just a little bit on, on palm oil. Trying to get a little more palm oil out there, I guess, amongst what you see happening there. And you compare that to what you see going on with, with oil and those kind of things. What are your thoughts there, and how is that going to affect the overall soybean oil market and the crush the crush markets and those kind of things? I mean, oil, vegetable oil is all about the political will to put energy ahead of food. I mean, that's really ultimately what it is. The governments have decided that they want to they want to use uh, as much vegetable oil as they can to make this renewable diesel for jet airplanes and trucks and everything else and. Um, and, and, but of course, that takes away from human consumed supplies. And I just wonder how elections are going to play out on the food versus fuel argument, because it's really hard when a family is sitting there wondering how they're going to feed their family. And you're saying, well, you know, you just have to suffer because we, we're going to we need to create more renewable diesel right now. And it, 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 to me, that's a hard argument, Casey. And I think ultimately, the governments aren't going to get rid of the programs. I just think they're going to back away. They're going to kick the can down. They're going to lower some of the of the of the standards or restrictions. And I just think that that's going to provide some extra vegetable oil onto the market until we can get supply and demand into a better balance. Maybe we have a huge soybean crop and that helps. You know, I just I just think we need that the world's going to you know needs to back off a little bit. And um, and so that's my overall view on it. Um, and and so. When you really look at vegetable oil prices, they've really been doing a heck of a whole lot of nothing here lately, other than being chopping sideways, trying to figure out what are the governments really going to do as we move into some important elections here later on in the year. So, right on. okay. Last thing I want to talk about before um, before we shut it down: um, the S and P five hundred for the month of May finished down um, quite a bit. Um, one of the one of the biggest declines we've seen in like since the 1930s, I think, or 19 late 1920s or something like that. I remember reading about that. Um, I guess Sean, as you take a look at the bear markets that we see out there, do you feel like that's going to push money into the funds? You're going to start looking at at the commodity marketplace and putting more money into that, and we're going to see some kind of a, a rally there on on the commodity side of it, or do you feel like this is just an overarching? withdraw i guess uh of what we see happening with inflation and, and what we see happening with the overall economy i mean throughout history there's two reasons the stock market does poorly the fed is not printing money it does poorly if it prints money it does better so we printed trillions upon trillions due to covid we had a huge bull market they're now taking liquidity away stocks are falling in in the most simplest perspective that's all you need to know. Are they printing or not printing? If they start to print again, go long stocks, 
Generally speaking, they're going to do better in that environment. Right now, they're withdrawing liquidity. They have a meeting here Tuesday and Wednesday. They're going to raise rates again. They're going to take more liquidity out. That's the one thing. Second thing, when there's high inflation, stocks do poorly. Corporate companies can't make money. Their margins shrink. Their volumes go down. So if your volumes are going down and your margins are shrinking, that is not a recipe for increasing profits. Um, Stock buybacks go away which is a big support for the stock market. So if you look at the period from 1965 to 1982, when we had wild commodity inflation, stocks did absolutely nothing. It had two 50% declines. If you look at the period from 1998 to 2012, stocks did absolutely nothing. and had two 50% declines. Commodities were hotter than a pistol. Now, starting in 2020, stocks have done absolutely nothing. And commodities are hot as a pistol. This is the cycle we're in. High inflation is not good for stocks. Everyone thinks stocks is a good inflation engine. It actually is not a good inflation engine unless you own an equity that has ownership of an asset that's benefiting from inflation. So if you had a copper mine, for example, that copper mine's value is going up because of inflation. That particular equity might do okay. But if you're Walmart or you're Amazon and you're eating these high fuel prices and, and the delivery costs are going through the roof and, you, and your margins are shrinking, it's not good. So these cycles, Casey, tend to last 10 to 15 years on average. It started in 2020. So I believe the next, from now until 2035, commodities are going to remain the place to be overall. Equities that are tied to commodities are going to be outperforming and stocks are going to be struggling all through this period. And they're probably going to have two 50% 50% declines. We already had a 50% decline during COVID. Right. And I think yeah. now we're already down 30% on yep. S&P. And I think the Nasdaq's down 40%. So we're we're almost there, quite frankly. Right. Yep. So, so but but overall, you know, you, you know, if you're going to be in, in, in equities, you're almost going to have to trade this for the next 10 years because it's really not going to do anything. But if you can buy low and sell high, you know, you can be able to put net equity into your 401ks and that sort of thing. But if you're just going to kind of buy and hold, you know, it's just, you're really not going to make a lot of headway. And that's what history tells us, Casey, the cycle we're in means commodities are the place to be. Um, and um, it's, it's, and it's kind of what they call it's time for the real economy um, to get the upper hand for a while versus the, you know, technology economy, which got the upper hand for the prior decade. And that's just where we're at. And, and I think so. If, if you're in the business of producing corn, if you're in the business of producing energy, if you're in the business of producing most commodities right now, you know I think you're going, overall going to have a, a pretty good, good go of it for at least another decade before the cycle shifts yet again, and then we go back to a, to, a, to a different cycle. But for right now, until the Federal Reserve suggests that their rate increases are over, their tightening is over, that their liquidity shrinking is over. Um, it's going to be very, very difficult for stocks to do anything but go sideways to down right now. So Right on. Okay. Well, good stuff as usual, Sean. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing on Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Lots of information on there about how we look at things, how we uh, look at weather, capital flows, and try to make our recommendations to our customers. Right on. I am Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and check out the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel where you can see all the videos of the stuff that we do here on the podcast. 
If you're interested in, in attending the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 6th, 7th, and 8th, go to movingironllc.com and you'll get all the information that you can find right there. Uh, if you need more information, send me an email at movingironpodcast at movingironpodcast.com and I will get that over to you. Sean's going to be there talking about what we see happening in the weather and what you talked about, Sean, this is starting to kind of happen now. You start talking about this hot, dry weather, this kind of blast that we see happening. Now we're starting to creep into some into that last extent of that blast, and then we're going to move on to some some cooler, wetter temperatures. Um, and moving from La Nina or El Nino to La Nina here this this fall, and what that looks like, that's going to be a, a pretty interesting time frame. It is going from La Nina to El Nino is going to really change things. And also, you know, another thing we'll be talking about is the cooling of the Atlantic Ocean, which is continuing to actually gain uh, steam. Um, and, and it's another factor that I think a lot of those that are looking at weather are not correctly factoring in. You know, they, they just assuming the Atlantic has been warm now for a long while and just assume it's just going to stay warm, but it actually is cooling very significantly. And that has big different changes and implications for overall weather patterns, especially going into a, an El Nino with a cold Atlantic, much different weather pattern than an El Nino with a warm Atlantic. And we'll be talking about what those nuances are, um, you know, in September and, and kind of lay out what the realistic expectations are for growing weather in both North America, South America, and what, and who the winners will be and what the losers will be. And they're, they're going to be different than they've been in the last couple of years. Everyone is continuing to try to play, you know, Lenia for one last go around, but what you really should be thinking about from a hedging perspective um, is to look at, you know, which markets are going to be disproportionately impacted um, in a different way than we've been expecting. And that's our job is to try to let everybody know what that, what that is in plenty of time so that you can take action and benefit from it. So. Right okay. Well, I am Casey Seymour or Sean Haggett. Well, first off, Sean, appreciate you being on the podcast. Now I'm Casey Seymour or Sean Haggett. Let's be smart folks out. Axon Tire is going to have more tips, tricks, and client advice throughout the year and in September at the Moving Iron Summit in Nashville. If you're looking to sign up for the event, please head over to movingironllc.com. We hope to see you there. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransitinc.com for all of your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron.